Good morning. How are you all doing? Good, good. Can I add my welcome to you? I think in hindsight, it turns out um, preaching on the morning where we all lose an hour of sleep is kind of a bit like pulling the short straw. Um, so uh, this morning, so well, so I'll do my best to keep you all awake um, while I groggily stumble my way through. Um, oh, my daughter laughed, so that's good. Um, <laughs> Uh, this morning, I have the job of finishing our Emotionally Healthy Spirituality series, where we have taken uh, nine weeks just to, oh, to look beneath the surface of our lives, uh, to kind of look at our emotional health, our spirituality, and to seek transformation. Um, so I hope you found it helpful. Um, I hope you found it engaging, life-giving. I hope it's drawn you closer to uh, Jesus. I think... For me, I think it's been one of my favourite series we've done in quite a while. Um, so I hope you could say the same. And just to say, again, as Shirley said last week, we're going to run the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course in April. Um, so if this series has kind of brought stuff up for you, if it's made you question some of your habits, some of your ways of being, I'd really encourage you to, uh, to sign up for that course. You can do that on our website. Um, I did it, we did like a pilot course where we've been preaching through this and I, uh, I was part of that, I had eight people on my table and just journeying with those eight people um, intentionally, kind of being really honest with one another, uh, going a bit deeper than we were able to in a preach kind of like this was just so helpful, I found. Um, so I really would encourage you um, to do that. Um, so... Can I ask you, we're going to, oh, today, we are looking at developing a rule of life, the last pathway to emotionally healthy spirituality. Um, so can I ask you to turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah 6, um, verse 16. We're going to just start by reading one verse uh, this morning. Uh, I'm going to read from the NIV. So, oh, let me start my timer. Jeremiah 6, verse 16. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. But you said we will not walk in it. So I want to start today, firstly, by just doing a, a little brief uh, exercise. So if I can just ask you all to close your eyes just for a moment. I won't do anything weird or scary, I promise. Um, if you can <laughs> close your eyes just for a minute, just pause for a moment. And then I want you to think of somebody in your life who's special to you. And I don't just mean somebody that you love. I mean somebody who kind of draws the best out of you, draws holiness out of you. Somebody who just when you're simply around them, kind of, you feel like the you that God's created you to be. Have you got that person in mind? Okay, keep your eyes closed just for a minute longer. And I want you to imagine yourself when you're older, maybe when you're 80 or so, if you've already passed 80, I'll let you pick an appropriate number. Um, but imagine yourself when you're older. Who do you want to be? How do you want people to feel when they're around you? What do you want to pull out of others just by being around them? 
what do you want your life to say? And then just for a few more minutes with your eyes closed, I then just want you to consider finally whether how you are living today is taking you to where you want to go, taking you to the person that you want to be. And I mean your routine, your work, your weekend plans, your spiritual practices and your habits, everything from the first 10 minutes of your day to what you get up to on a weekday evening, from um, what food you put into your body uh, to uh, how stressful your job is, your attention, what you watch on TV, um, your reading, your listening, what you spend your money on. It's how you're living your life taking you to the person that you want to be. Is it all aimed at where you want to go or is it slightly off center? Okay, feel free to open your eyes. Thank you. So the phrase rule of life kind of appears a bit daunting at first glance, I think. The word, when we hear the word rule, oh, my time is going off, what's going on? Uh, when we hear the word rule, um, most of us start thinking of, of things we have to do, right? We, it's not very appealing to any of us. But that little exercise really was just intended to do two things. Okay, firstly... To, show, to give you an idea, to show you what a rule of life is, which, at its simplest, is just a way of structuring or ordering our life in order to achieve a goal, right? It's, our, it's the rhythms and patterns that make up what we do day to day in order to become something. So, old language, rule of life, but kind of timeless concept. So, why the word rule? Well, it comes from the Latin word regular, which means regular with an R, um, as in kind of standard or normal, but it also can mean ruler, as in like a straight piece of wood that you draw a line with. Um, so a rule of life is kind of like a straight line between where you are now and the person or the place you want to be, between now and your goal. And the other point of the exercise was just to show you that you already have a rule of life. That's the reality, okay? <laughs> I know uh, Pete's uh, pathway is to develop one, but I'm not really asking you to develop anything. You already have a rule of life, whether it's conscious or unconscious, written down or not, whether it's intentional or unintentional, forming you into the kind of person you want to be or based around the kind of over-promising and under-delivering pleasures that you want to feel, whether it's chosen by you or chosen for you, we all have a rule of life. We all have a way that we are living. So my question for you right at the start of this morning isn't, um, isn't whether you have a rule of life, it's whether you know what your rule of life is. Because it is forming you and it's taking you somewhere. Okay, Whether you know where it's taking you or not, whether you like where it's taking you or not, it is taking you somewhere. So, let's jump back to Jeremiah a little bit and give some context. So, Jeremiah is speaking around the time of Judah's last five kings. You can read about them, 2 Kings 21 to 25, um, and God's people are a mess. They have been two separate kingdoms for centuries now, after Solomon's son, uh, Rehoboam, uh, started a civil war. 
Uh, God has, by this point, he's judged the northern kingdom of Israel and the Assyrians, one of the kind of major superpowers of the day, have come in and exiled the northern kingdom of Israel about 100 years before Jeremiah starts prophesying. But God has so far, he's protected the southern kingdom of Judah from the many empires and nations around them. But Judah too has been unfaithful. They have forgotten their first love. They've allowed their lives to slip into the habits and the patterns, the structures and the worship of the culture around them. It's gods and it's securities and it's idols. So God tasks Jeremiah to plead with Judah to repent from their sin and to turn back to God. And time and time again, though, God's people refuse, refuse to repent, refuse to turn from their patterns of living and their false worship. And so right near the start of Jeremiah's uh, prophetic ministry, we get this little verse that we read today. God's people are at a crossroads right? <laughs> their way of living them has led them down, their way of living has led them down a path away from God, and God graciously sets a fork in the road, a moment for them to stop and to consider where they're headed. And God's plea is for his people to look for that ancient path, to look for the well-trodden path, the good way, and to head there instead. Um, I like Lord of the Rings a little bit nerdy but do you remember that part in the fellowship of the ring where uh the fellowship are heading through the mines of moria and they get to a fork in the path the crossroads and gandalf doesn't remember which way to go and so they set up camp there for the night and they go to sleep and gandalf sits there for a few hours kind of trying to remember puffing on his pipe uh contemplating which way to go and after a while he wakes them all up And the path that he chooses is the path that has clean air and not a foul stench coming from it. And that's what's what's happening here, right? God has put a fork in the road. One path has the foul stench of death and the other leads to life and to rest, to clean air. But unfortunately, as we read, God's people continue on the wrong path, continue to pattern their lives around the worship of the culture's gods and idols. And eventually, around 40 years after we read this, after Jeremiah spoke this verse, um, God judges Judah as well. And Babylon, again, another superpower of the day, uh, comes in, invades Judah, and takes God's people into captivity. So, what is this ancient path, this um, good way? Well, it's a rule of life. It's a life structured around the worship of the true God. In the context of this passage, it would have meant God's people structuring their life around the law of Moses. But for us today, I want to turn to Jesus and see what he has to say about this good way that leads to rest for our souls. And Jeremiah 6 particularly reminds me of two things that Jesus said, the first of which we can find in John 14. So Jesus, having his last meal with his disciples, uh, Judas has gone out to betray him. <clears throat> and Jesus tells all of his disciples that um, he's, he's about to go. And so they're feeling pretty anxious. They're feeling pretty confused. Uh, Jesus tells them that I'm going to my father's house to prepare a place for you. Um, you know the way to, where, to the place where I'm going. And, and Thomas turns to him and says, 
Jesus, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And then we get John 14, verse 6. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way. What's the good way? Jesus. Kids Club answer. It's Jesus. Jesus is the good way. That exercise at the beginning, when I asked you who you want to be when you're 80 or so, wasn't because this is some kind of self-help seminar, right? It's not a talk on how you could be the best you that you can be. Hopefully, it's a talk on how we can pattern our lives around Jesus, helping us to become more like him, people of love, love for God and love for neighbor, full of the fruit of the Spirit, compassionate, seeking justice, giving ourselves to those in need. So if you're a follower of Jesus this morning and your faith, your discipleship didn't factor into your imagination of who you want to be, I just want you to ask the question of whether your way of living, your rule of life is set on the good way. So for us to walk in this ancient path, in this good way, means to pattern our lives so that everything we do is aimed at Jesus and, that the, and the person that we're created to be in him. Right, this is not a way of winning God's affection. It's not a way of gaining our salvation. We're saved by grace, through faith, not by works, It's a question of what it means to follow Jesus, a question of what it means for him to be our rabbi and for us to be his disciples. And I wonder if, for many of us, we have based our discipleship on what we know, what we think, what we believe to be true. And I find that the problem, at least for me, is that there's often a gap between what I know and what I do. (laughs) I don't know if that's true for you. Have you ever... Uh, come across a problem where having new knowledge or new information doesn't translate into a new way of living. Um, Let me try and give you a few examples, okay? Put your hand up if um, you know that fast food is not great for your body. Okay, thank you. Now, put your hand up if you've ever eaten fast foods. Okay, (laughs) let's do another one. Put your hand up if you know that exercise is good for you. Okay, now, be honest. (laughs) Put your hand up if you regularly exercise. Well, there's a few people in the room. That's good. You you guys don't count. Uh, (laughs) Okay, let's do one more. And I was debating whether or not to do this one because I don't want everybody to feel guilt or shame, but hopefully it lands a little more seriously. Put your hand up if you know the story of the Good Samaritan. Okay, keep your hand up if you think you could tell it to somebody else, if you think you could tell kind of the point of of it to somebody else. Great. So we all know the story. Most of us who are believers, we, we know the story. And I won't ask you to put your hand up for this bit. But how many of us still walk past the homeless person in the street, for example? People we are called to care for and to love, just like the priest and the Levite did. How many of us give of our time and our money and our expense to care for them, to give them a place to live, to care for their needs and to show them love? Again, the point's not, the point really isn't to make us all feel guilt 
and shame. My point is that knowing something does not always lead to being something. Knowing that Jesus used that parable to show us how we should love others does not always lead to us living it. We need something more than just knowing, something more than just information. So let's take apart John 14, verse 6 for a moment and use that. So Jesus, as we said, Jesus is the life. He is our goal. He is the one that we pursue, the one that we aim ourselves at. How do we pursue him? Both by what we believe, the truth, but also by what we do, what we practice, the way. The truth, without the way, doesn't lead to life. Think of Paul talking to the church at Corinth. You know, they said they believed, but um, it didn't look like they were practicing the way of Jesus. There was incest, there's disunity, there's idol worship, right? Truth without the way doesn't lead to life. But also, the way without the truth doesn't lead to life. Think of the Pharisees, okay? They, it looked like they had the, you know, they lived to the letter of the law. But Jesus kind of, you know, spoke probably most harshly and most critically to them of all people. Truth without the way doesn't lead to life and neither does the way without the truth. So what we need is the way of Jesus and the truth of Jesus for the life of Jesus. Of course, we need the right belief, but we also need the right practice. So let's take a look at the second thing that Jeremiah 6 uh, reminds me of that Jesus said, which, again, we can find in Matthew 11. It'll be a verse, again, familiar to, um, to many of us in the room. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Notice, just for a minute, how there are two parts to Jesus' invitation here. Firstly, come to me. That's it. Come to me. If you are burdened, if you are heavy laden, if you are tired, just come to Jesus and he will give you rest. But secondly, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. There's something more to step into. Learning to be like Jesus, learning to imitate him, to walk in his footsteps. And I love Eugene uh, Peterson's paraphrase of this passage in the message. He says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you will recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Tired, worn out, come to Jesus and you'll recover your life. You'll find freedom, forgiveness for your sin, his presence, eternal Sabbath. But then... Walk with me, work with me, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Learn to live freely and lightly. And many people think Jesus is um, referencing Jeremiah 6 in this 
passage, right? Jeremiah tells God's people to walk in the good way and they'll find rest for their souls. And Jesus tells us to learn from him or to walk with him, as Eugene Peterson puts it, and we'll find rest for our souls. Are you with me? The point's the same. (laughs) There's more, more to walk into, right? We've been paddling on the surface for so long and God's invitation is to dive into the deep end. We're not being invited just into belief. We're being invited into a way of living. We're being invited to structure our lives around the unforced rhythms of grace. But as I said at the start, a rule of life doesn't sound particularly easy or light, does it? Rule. Adding a whole new list of things to do uh, doesn't feel very much like that. Firstly, I do think it's important to note that it's a rule of life and not a law of life. Now, there's not a lot of difference in meaning in our context, but let's just compare the uh, the two for a moment. So a law is something that's imposed on us by an authority, like a government or something similar. A law is something that keeps us away from the negative. So you cannot drive over 30 miles per hour, or you can't uh, assault somebody if they insult you, or you can't use charitable funds to buy an expensive watch. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Think of the Pharisees, right? They lived by a law. They put a fence round the Torah. Extra requirements, extra burden, so that they didn't stray too far from it to keep themselves from the negative. But a rule, at least historically, is something that's chosen freely by an individual or a community. It's not imposed on us. A rule, again, it doesn't keep us away from the negative, but it draws us towards the positive. Okay, think of that, what I said at the beginning, a straight line towards where you are now and your goal. It's like Google Maps for our life. And Jesus lived by a rule, right? He knew the goal that the Father had set before him, and he structured his life in a way to reach it. And not only that, he invited us into it. He says, come to me. He's drawing us to himself. Okay, it's not a law of life, it's a rule of life. And I also think there's just three helpful images that I'll go through uh, quickly that just point to this not being burdensome, but a way to abide, <laughs> to, um, to help us love, to be fruitful, to stay in step with the Spirit, to stay in the place where God can bless us. So firstly, think of a marriage. Okay, two people love one another. Why formalize something that's so free? Right? Because to live with the goal of loving one another in that way for the long term, requires structure. It requires a commitment. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, when he was officiating a wedding, said, today, you're young and you're very much in love and you think that your love can sustain your marriage, but it can't. Let your marriage sustain your love. David Brooks, who's an American author, commentator, He uses the language of commitment, and he defines it as falling in love with something or someone, and then building a structure of behavior around it for those moments when love falters. So a rule of life is like a structure of behavior that we build around our love for Jesus to help us when it falters, to help us sustain that love. 
Secondly, think of a trellis, one for all the gardeners here. Um, trellis is a wooden structure that you train a plant up. Um, a grapevine, for example, will still grow grapes if it's left to grow on the floor, but if you train it up a trellis, it will be much more fruitful. Okay, a rule of life is simply a way for us to abide in the vine and to be fruitful, to be more fruitful. And then thirdly, think of an anchor, right? An anchor holds a boat in place. You all know that. If you're in the ocean on a boat, you are always drifting. There's always some kind of current. But if you're standing on the boat, it often doesn't feel like it, okay? You can be stood there, unless it's a rough sea, you can be stood there not noticing that you are drifting until you feel the tug of the anchor. And you realize that you've been moving that whole time. A rule of life is like a way to drop anchor into a place where you intend to stay, into a place where God can bless you. So I'm not suggesting a new spiritual practice this morning. I'm not really suggesting something you have to add into your life. Instead, I'm suggesting that we give attention and intention to places where we've maybe been inattentive and unintentional. For all of us, there is a gap between who we are now and who we'd like to be in Jesus. And a rule of life sits in that gap. So, I propose looking at your rule of life, how you live day by day, again, all those things I listed at the beginning, everything from your morning routine to what you get up to in the evenings to what you spend your money on, under four simple headings. Being present to God, being present to others, being present to yourself, and being present to your work and your calling. So present to God, your spiritual practices, Bible reading, prayer, silence, church, whatever, Present to others, your relationships, family, children, friends, small group. Present to yourself, your rest and your sleep, your diet, exercise, things you find pleasure in maybe. And present to your work and calling, what you do with what you've been given, where you've been placed and what you feel you've been called to. And most modern takes on a rule of life will then have some simple commitments and a practice or two under each of those headings. I'll give you... Uh, one of mine is an example from um, work and calling, and this is a serious one, so don't laugh too much. <laughs> uh, so one of my commitments, knowing that God delights in beauty, creativity, and order, I will seek to shape my home and garden around those things. And then my practice under that commitment is I'll continue to attempt to grow vegetables in my garden. <laughs> We've got mixed results. Um, the idea is for them to be simple and realistic, right? When I first wrote a rule of life, I had seven headings, and at each heading I had daily, weekly, monthly, annual, and then under each of those categories I had multiple practices. And it was idealistic, but it was not realistic. Um, and every time I looked at it, it just made me feel massively inadequate, and I stopped using it. Um, so they're supposed to be simple and realistic. The other part is they're not supposed to be super spiritual. <laughs> We're not all of a sudden turning our houses into monasteries. Anything that's not sinful in your life can be a spiritual practice. From a few minutes of silence in the morning to a glass of wine at night, from reading your Bible to a Saturday afternoon stroll, from singing here on a Sunday morning to having a meal and a good laugh with your friends, from fasting to growing vegetables in your garden. How do you turn something into spiritual practice? 
by connecting the gift to the giver. Of course, some of these are more essential than others. Take that for granted. Um, But when you go for a slow Saturday afternoon stroll and you see the beauty of the first signs of spring and you notice people walking around you, people in the town that you've been placed in, and you let it lift your eyes to the God who created it all, who designed it all, who loves it all, and who gave himself for it all. It's a spiritual practice. When you plant a broad bean seed into a little toilet roll cardboard tube with some compost in it, and you watch as what looks lifeless starts to shoot out with little green shoots, and you know that in a few months it will will uh, bear our first vegetables to us. <laughs> um, and you let it remind you of the God who brings life from death. Right? The, the one who spent three days in the ground and burst forth into life, it can become a spiritual practice. But writing a practice or two and some commitments is not actually what I'm going to propose to us as our next step this week. Because the problem for most of us, I think... It's not that we need to add more stuff into our life, but that we need to take some stuff away from it. Most of us, I think, are over busy. We need to declutter our life to focus on the things which matter the most. This really is not supposed to be another thing to do. So our next step for this week is to take those four headings, just to sit for a few minutes, think about everything, think about your rule of life, figure out what it is, and then just figure out what parts fit where. Are there parts that don't fit into those four headings? Just prayerfully hand them to God. Are they worth your time, your attention, your money? Are there unbalances or imbalances in those headings? Is all of your time spent in your work and calling, but none of it spent to God? Or is all of your time spent spent on yourself, but not any time invested on your family, on others? Again, just prayerfully hand it to God. Ask him if there's anything you can shift, anything that you can remove, that you can declutter from your life. So that's the next step for this week. Essentially, just take the time to figure out what your rule of life is and where it's taking you. And then sit with it and sit with God and just ask what you can take away. It should be about subtraction before it's about addition. So, just to finish this morning, I'm well over time. Just to finish this morning, maybe you two are at a crossroads of sorts. Maybe you've had the realisation that the way you've been living isn't leading you towards who you want to be in Jesus, who you have been created to be. Maybe you want to learn those unforced rhythms of grace. Maybe you've had all the right beliefs, but not the right way. Or you've had all the right way, you've been going through the motions, but you're not sure where your faith is at, or maybe you've never had it. So right now, just as we finish and just as the kids come back in and start making a load of noise, um, we just have an opportunity to respond, just to make a commitment again before God of journeying this through with him. So just as a way, I'm not going to ask anybody to come to the front because we don't really have time. 
But just as a way of expressing that commitment, can I just invite you just to stand or to hold out your hands or to respond in a way that feels appropriate to you? If you feel like, like I said, if you feel like this is a moment where I'm at a crossroads and I want to head towards the ancient path, head towards the good way, aim my life at Jesus again, can I just invite you to respond? And then we're just going to wait just for a moment as we do that and let God speak into our hearts and then I'll just pray to finish. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you are the life this morning. That all we need to do is run to you and you will give us rest, forgiveness, your presence. We thank you that you are the life this morning. And for those of us here this morning that are have reached that crossroads moment and have had a realisation that maybe their life isn't pointed where you want it to take them. Father, I just pray we just hand it to you in this moment. But we hand it to you in this moment and I ask, Holy Spirit, would you just come and fill us? Would you come and fill each one who's responding this morning? Would you come and stir our hearts again? God, would you come and Draw us towards yourself. Lord Jesus, we long for more of you in our lives and we long to be the people that you have created us to be. So Holy Spirit, we just invite you this morning to lead us, to lead us to the good way, to lead us on that ancient path, to lead us to the place where we'll find rest for our souls. So we bless your name, Lord Jesus, and we invite you by your spirit to lead us again this week. Amen.